right, everyone. Here we are. And it's Friday night, and I'm here with Carly Bassian. Bassian, you got it. Bassian? Yeah. Bassian's also fine. Bassian. It's a bit fancier. <laughs> Bassian. <laughs> Fantastique. And uh, it's really great to meet you. Thanks. Great to meet you, too. Yeah. And uh, so let's, like, tell us about yourself. Where to begin? Um, So as you said, I'm Carly and I train teachers in sexual health education. I started a couple of years ago when I was doing my thesis work during my graduate studies at U of T and decided to tackle the impossible and try to find some best practices to teach sex ed. And after my research came out, so did the Ontario curriculum, which was really great timing. It was actually the first time that the curriculum for health and phys ed came out in over 15 years, which is highly problematic. So it was very good timing. And from that, I had a lot of teachers and other education stakeholders express interest in being trained in sex ed. And here I am today still doing that and having awesome workshops and conversations with people. Wow. Is that that your, like your main gig? No, it's a side project. I actually work full-time for Ryerson University doing completely unrelated work to that, uh, which I also happen to love. Um, So this is a total side project, a passion project, as I like to call it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But you have no absence of customers. Uh, No, really no, (laughs) because training is ongoing and people are always curious to talk about sex. Yeah. Lucky that I'm in this field. Yeah. And you came in before the sex ed curriculum came in. Pretty much identical timing. So I was doing my thesis, wrapping up in June of 2015 and the curriculum came out in February of that year. Wow. Coincided, yeah. And good for you, by the way, for doing a thesis. Like, are we talking master's thesis? Yeah. Oh, like, gosh. I was just looking at it earlier to refresh myself. Almost 100 pages. So oh, yeah. And I was just thinking, wow, yeah. I could not do that today. Yeah. But the energy. <laughs> yeah. I did one, yeah. too, but it was was a major research paper, so it was yeah. 50 pages. Okay. But a summer of isolation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have no friends. I forgot what it was like to be social. And yeah. it is your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I got, I felt like I got just, I was so deep into it that I couldn't see the forest from the trees. Yeah. What was your topic? My topic was the propensity for immigrants to join the Canadian military. Wow. That's mm-hmm. a mouthful of the title. Very important topic. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. recruited to get suited. Find it at a nowhere near you. (laughs) But um, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So so you found that there was a need for this and you started talking to teachers about this. Yes, and pre-service teachers. So when you think of the student teacher in the classroom, Mm -hmm. when I was at OIS at U of T, there was also a huge need because I had a lot of my friends who had zero teaching experience and teachers would ask them to teach sex ed and they were freaking out. And there was a high demand for that. So I've been to Oise for a few workshops as well to help our student teachers before they entered the classroom. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Do you think that you're going to get like a decline in people interested now with the new curriculum? You, I've already seen a little bit of a decline just because the hype isn't there as much, but the curriculum gets updated every eight to 10 years and there's always a controversy. Um, so I really think that it will continue to be a demand just potentially in different capacities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to get into that because I mean, we're both sexual health educators. Yeah. Woo. Two in one room. I mean, like (laughs) really, I don't think there's many of us. No, it's a very niche area, believe it or not. There's, I know maybe two or three other people in the Toronto area that do this work, but not really with teachers. They do a lot of sex ed for kids or sex ed for parents, but for teachers specifically, not many people. Yeah. Yeah. The, so when I was trained in Vancouver, 
I was trained. I took um, option for sexual health, mm-hmm. sexual health educator certificate. Mm-hmm. It's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I didn't get it at first. I'm like, okay, so it's mandatory. Why would they need mm-hmm. consultants to come into the schools? Mm-hmm. And the response that I heard from the majority of my classmates who were teachers mm-hmm. was people are uncomfortable with it. Oh, yeah. Or it doesn't get taught. It's... I don't know. That's true in your experience too? Absolutely. So just to provide some context in mm-hmm. terms of the experience and training that teachers get. In the two-year program that I was in, it was a two-year master's program, we got 45 minutes of sexual health education the entire program. And that was a two-year program. And now in Ontario, it is a two-year program for teacher candidates. So it's likely roughly that, if not a little bit more. But teachers who were in the one-year training program get next to no sexual health education. And if you don't have that background knowledge, and sex is already a difficult topic, uncomfortable topic for most people to talk about, imagine having to teach that. So you can only fathom the discomfort that the average person would have teaching it with absolutely no background knowledge and that general discomfort to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big problem. That's why we're here. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, let's let's jump right in. Uh When you teach sex ed to adults, what surprises you the most? What surprises me the most? That's a great question. I think the biggest shock is how little adults know about sex. (laughs) No offense, um, but just the basics. I mean, the Ontario curriculum, because that's the context I'm, I'm talking about, right? The information is pretty generic and pretty basic and very fundamental for teenagers growing up and young children growing up, but just... Every single workshop I have had, I have at least had one person ask me, what does transgender mean? Or what does transsexual mean? And just this fundamental identity piece that we, it's in the curriculum, it's talked about, and people just have absolutely no idea what these terms mean. Sexting's another one. I have teachers ask me, what does sexting mean? And Or my my child, my students talk about sexting. What is that? And they have no idea. Yeah. Which is a little frightening. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Fright- and funny that they talk to them about sexting. They're like, hey, miss. It's, they don't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, they overhear like, it. They overhear it's like, oh, it, yeah. I overhear my students. <laughs> what's the sex? Snapchat and sexting and all yeah. these things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly takes some vulnerability for them to ask. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But kids are curious. And yeah. teachers, for a lot of students, they're a go-to safe person. And they, they're honest or they have conversations with their friends in the classroom. And having been on both sides of it, I know teachers hear everything. Being a student teacher in the past, you, you hear it all. Yeah. The students don't think you do, but you know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And it's not pretty sometimes yeah 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 yeah. well funny because like you're saying there's a lot of misinformation or kind of ignorance on Mm -hmm. the part of youth and adults oh yeah I remember to be honest with you my first like my first exposure to trans people was always slurs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's always like trannies Mm -hmm. transvestites like all the derogatory language yeah exactly Mm -hmm. but without without an understanding Actually, do you remember Ace Ventura? Of course, yeah. Remember Einhorn Finkel? Yeah. When it's like Einhorn's, a, uh, the woman was a man? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't understand any of this. Yeah, and they spoofed it. They made fun of it. Yeah, yeah. And there was no explanation. I'm like, I don't... Mm-hmm. It just confused me mm-hmm. more. At that, when the movie was released, that wasn't really in the common dialogue. But now when we talk about gender identity, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus star, however you want to finish yeah. it... That's, it's always a part it's a part of the narrative and it needs to be yeah, yeah. it's very important to include include everyone mm-hmm. for sure 
um, when you talk to the adults, are they, what are they like in your sessions? It's always a mix. I can't really generalize. So when I work with teachers, they're usually pretty good about it. They're very engaged. They're really willing to learn. But you always have a couple of people in the back. The moment I say penis, <laughs> vagina, vulva, urethra, whatever it is. You exactly got giggles, right? So every workshop I do, I always make sure that when I, I usually talk about language and the piece around how we stigmatize language and how I feel like that contributes to the stigma around talking about sex. Mm-hmm. I preface that that segment with, we're going to be talking about language now. So before we even begin, I'm just going to ask you to say to yourself quietly, penis, vagina, just get it out there and it, you get people laughing. That's so there's idea. always that discomfort in, in that unease. It's, it's uncomfortable to talk about, especially if you're in a room with strangers. Yeah. Um, and it's also an added comp- complication, I would say, because when you're a teacher, you really need to be careful about how you frame things and what you talk about because there are ethical guidelines. You don't want to come across as too abrasive, too honest. You don't want to disclose too much information or talk about something really inappropriate. So having to navigate being able to talk about sex ed, but in not only in an appropriate way, but age appropriate too, it gets complicated. Yeah. So for sure, little unease, discomfort. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you go out to pitch your services, mm-hmm. who are you pitching and what's mm-hmm. an end? How do you do that? Oh, I'm really lucky. <laughs> I've never had to actually really pitch people. I've been fortunate enough where people just kind of come to me. So again, as I said, worked with OISE. I did a couple of workshops for a professional development uh, group for teachers and education stakeholders. And through that, I landed an amazing contract with OFIA, which is a nonprofit. They do resources, um, develop resources for health and phys ed, did a contract with them. Uh, one of my OISE profs invited me to be a guest lecturer for a few of her lectures. I've offered my services at OISE on a volunteer basis so I've gone there a few times so luckily just through word of mouth yeah and because it's a side project I'm not really actively seeking people but if anyone's interested obviously feel free to reach yeah. out to me but my sex ed yeah. my sex ed Facebook Twitter my emails carly at my sex ed.ca all the ways to get a hold fantastic of me. Yeah. good to hey it doesn't hurt right yeah so listen back to these adults that you're teaching mm-hmm. uh do they ever talk about the kind of sex that they got when they were growing up? Not really, but speaking to my family members and people in the education community, it's pretty minimal. And honestly, I don't think it's changed a whole lot. And the problem with the curriculum, I'm going to admit something that not everyone's going to agree with, but everyone kind of knows there's a grain of truth to it. There's no curriculum police. So no matter how fantastic our curriculum documents are, how comprehensive, how holistic, At the end of the day, there is no curriculum police. We don't have our principals sitting in each teacher's room every time they teach sex ed to make sure that they're teaching all the points they're supposed to. Yeah. So at the end of the day, teachers are going to do what they want to do, which is a problem. And the teachers who want to get more professional development are the people who are coming to my workshops, but the people who probably do need that extra support are too shy or don't know how to reach out for those resources. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like probably the best teachers come to your sessions. Yeah, and that's generally, like, like, with anything, right? Like, even in the private sector, if there's a professional development opportunity, it's the people who are eager, who are willing to learn more and absorb more information. Those are the people coming out to these events. And it's just a, an unfortunate reality. And I try to spread the word and hopefully colleagues talk to each other. Teachers are great for that. They are really good at sharing knowledge and hopefully getting that message out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, the old curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Is there anything that you would add or change to it? I would definitely change the order of certain topics and also just adding a bit more in certain areas. So a great example that I often talk about is there's a lot of pushback or there at least was at the beginning um, because in grade seven, students are taught about STI prevention um, and HIV and what are the symptoms, how to prevent it. And then in grade eight, they talk about consent. But that's where people get upset is the consent piece. They're like, oh, great, we're teaching them about STIs and safer sex. But consent. Oh, that means that if we're talking about consent, that means that our, our students and our kids are having sex in grade eight. Yeah. It's not at all about that. And in fact, consent should be taught in junior kindergarten about if you want to share a toy, how to ask. If you want to give a friend a hug, ask first. If you want to pat someone on the head or on the back, ask first. Yeah. So the order really should be reversed because if we're having conversations in grade seven about safer sex and STIs, before we even get into that, what about the piece about consent and when you're with a partner negotiating what are my boundaries what are my expectations if I don't want to proceed in this interaction how do I vocalize that in a way that you'll respect and understand absolutely so the fact that it's reversed baffles my mind and also we all know kids are curious so grade seven that is now where students kind of start to experiment so maybe it's worth having that conversation a year or two earlier to say puberty is amongst you and you may have urges that may lead to curiosity and before you engage in any sort of activity, this is what you should know so you yeah. can make wise choices. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I, I think I get where the intuition's coming from. It's like, okay, STIs and HIV, that's going to scare them off. Exactly. We like that. People. We like that. But anything that's mm-hmm. that's about giving permission or how to give permission mm-hmm. as, a, as well as rejection, mm-hmm. the myth is, I think, that... Uh, that sexual health education promotes promiscuity. Mm-hmm. It's a huge misconception, and there is so much research to prove that it is wrong. <laughs> a great example of that, in the United States, at least a couple of years ago, there was a, por- a report that was released saying that the government had funded over a billion dollars in abstinence-based education in across all the United States because most states don't actually mandate sex ed. It's not a part of their health mm-hmm. curriculum. And there's substantial evidence that shows that there are strong correlations between abstinence-based education programming with pregnancy rates and STI rates. So if students are not getting any any information about safer sex and are basically just told don't have sex, pregnancy rates and STI rates go up. If that's not enough evidence for you to show that if we're not teaching them safer sex behaviors, they're still going to do what they want to do. There's no stopping them. So at least give them that information so they can make healthy choices. Yes. You're preaching to the choir right here. Mm -hmm. Although I shouldn't use church language (laughs) to describe what we're doing. (laughs) You know, I've talked to a lot of Catholic school teachers, and it's really heartwarming to hear that they're very pro the new Ontario curriculum because even though they teach in a Catholic school, it's mandated if it's public that they do need to teach health education. And I think that's another misconception that I'd like to sort of address is that Catholic school teachers generally do teach the sex ed curriculum and they do a very good job at it. But from my understanding, they just need to also integrate the Catholic values along with that. So students are still getting the information, which is really great because students want that. That's the thing. There's reports. Planned Parenthood put out a really great report back in, I think, 2010, surveying students about what they want from their sex ed. And it was an enormous rate of students. They want sex ed. They're curious. They want to have their questions answered. Yes. Even though adults think, oh, they're so innocent. They have no desire to learn about sex. 
but the proof is there. The stats are there. Right. Yeah. Of course, which which is good. And I think most parents want it too, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from the things that I've read. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about how they weave the ca- the Catholic angle in with the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure because I've never been either. in a Catholic school, not Catholic. There you so go. I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Now, I think that what's underpinning this conversation is really the importance of sexual health education and. Uh, you know, so we should probably talk about what happens when people don't get any information or they get the wrong information. It's bad. It's bad news. And that happened here, even in Toronto. If you just Google search, you know, Toronto Star articles about parents angry about the new curriculum in Toronto, the amount of of parents who pulled their kids out of the class, even before the curriculum was officially implemented, it was released in early 2015, but legally teachers didn't need to teach it until the following school year, so September of 2015. Mm-hmm. And the amount of protests and parents pulling their kids out of their classes, just because of all these misconceptions. So a really big one that I get from my workshops is, is it true that in grade six, you're teaching my child how to masturbate? Because in the curriculum, there is a suggestion for a topic. Um, the the way the curriculum works, you have these overarching um, expectations that the teacher is supposed to teach. So these specific expectations outline, for example, teaching healthy relationships, uh, understanding uh, what STIs are and their symptoms, so on and so forth. So in grade six, there's a, uh, a specific expectation that outlines something along the lines of helping students understand uh, growth and development and healthy relationships and the foundations that help form these healthy relationships. Mm. And then there's examples, nice. which are not mandated. And in these examples, that talks about self-pleasure or something along those lines. Wow. So people interpreted that as... You're deep, deep in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Uh, we're going we're going <laughs> way down. Um, very detailed. Yeah, but people catch on these little details and make these explosive statements of, oh, my gosh, why is my, my child's teacher teaching them about masturbation? It has nothing to do with that. It's just a suggestion that when you're talking about healthy relationship development and, mm-hmm. and growth, that it may happen where you may want to explore your own body, and, and that's totally totally normal as long as you're doing it in an appropriate place and in a comfortable place, so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we, well, speaking about bodies, like let's talk a little bit about body image. Mm-hmm. One of the questions, since we're in this age of technology and probably everyone's accessing this online somehow, do you think, this is a leading question, Okay. Uh, do you think the internet age and proliferation of social media is having an impact on body image and self-esteem? Yeah, I, I think that it's definitely the case. Um, we all kind of know that is the case. And, you know, to get my psychology nerd on, because that's my undergraduate background, teenagers do not actually have the brain development yet to make healthy choices all the time. They act on impulse. They don't have a lot of impulse control. So when you have these raging hormones coursing through your body and you have your cell phone in front of you and a text from someone saying, hey, send me a nudie, you want to feel that rush of, oh, someone's into me and I'm going to give them what they want sometimes. So the impulse control is not there from an actual brain development standpoint. And just, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. There's there's technology everywhere. It's on your laptop. It's on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to many teachers who tell me that they see kids, teenagers, sitting in the class with their legs spread and their phone underneath their desk sending photos. Like, they see this no happening. Way. It's, it's really sad. And, and, and we try to have police officers come in to talk about cyber safety. Yeah. And we have conversations in the classroom about cyber safety. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But... It's still happening, and you hear these horror stories. You know, Amanda Todd, and there was another girl recently, I think, out east or out west, who 
unfortunately took their own life because an image of them that they sent out got spread around and it's it's out of control it's a huge problem and it's a matter of life or death quite literally yeah yeah when i went okay when i took the course in vancouver we talked about this and actually my instructor uh took this approach was like they're gonna do it anyway let's not shame them for it mm-hmm. um and she disagreed that every, anything that goes online is permanent mm-hmm. i know that that's not true and that mm-hmm. everything that is permanent kind of that you you should assume that yeah and when i went in to teach at my former high school in in January, this is what I said about sexting. I explained what it was. I explained the legal, the legal aspects of it, and then I said they already knew about Amanda Todd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they'd done like a big thing on Amanda Todd, yeah. and I said, okay, but if you must do it, here are some guidelines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, don't show your head or any like distinguishing features. Mm-hmm. You know, just to give them room to play, mm-hmm. like room to move around with it. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like you don't do this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for sure. And there's definitely different approaches. Um, I'm a part of a Facebook group called Sex Geekdom, and it's a lot mm-hmm. of really uh, interesting people who are involved in the sex world in one capacity or another, so, uh, sexual health education, all that, all that stuff. And someone just recently posted that she's working with Planned Parenthood right now, and they're doing a whole piece on safe kink play for teenagers. And this came up in actually one of my workshops, a colleague of mine from Oise did his thesis on sex ed as well, but took the angle of why aren't we talking more about self-pleasure and and pleasure derived from sex? Because when we often talk about sex, it's the negative, it's the pregnancy scares, it's the STIs, it's the sexual assault. All valid, absolutely (laughs) important to talk about. But let's be honest, like the reason why people are so interested in sex is that usually it feels good and people are curious about that. Same goes with kink, and this came up again in one of my workshops about, well, if teenagers are interested in kink play, how are they accessing information that's appropriate for them, that's comprehensible, that isn't crossing a boundary, and should teachers be talking about it? And that was a really interesting debate point about how much is too much and where do we draw the line with, this is what a teacher should talk about, and then, okay, we're scaling it back. So there is this need to talk about sex in a very different lens that is not happening in the Ontario curriculum. It's not happening in Ontario classrooms. I really don't know if if it should be. I don't know the answer to that. And it always sparks an interesting discussion. But, you know, when do we figure out, like, how can we offer that information to teenagers and kids? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A fair debate to happen. I definitely have to join that Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. They're an interesting bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The... Okay, when when one phrase that I heard was "Don't yuck someone's yum," I've about, never heard of that. I I what is? Do I want to know what that means? It's, it's like <laughs> it's that everyone gets pleasure in different ways. Yeah. And oh, don't yuck someone's yum. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I heard something else. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can't you can't judge someone based on their interests as long as you're not harming anyone. Exactly. You're not harming yourself, and it's consensual. Yeah then have at it, right? You can't judge anyone for yeah, exactly. their interests. Yeah. It's the second P word we should be talking a lot more about. Which is? <laughs> the first one being penis. Of course. And the second one being pleasure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, of course. Like That's why I think it's so great that we're doing this work, mm-hmm. you and I, mm-hmm. and all to all the sex educators out there, um, because I think we're flipping the script. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the ones that are doing that from like at least from myself like a non-judgmental mm-hmm. perspective um, mm-hmm. yeah but but on, as you said there's still this billion dollar industry of abstinence only happening in the US yeah and I'm curious if it's still happening in Canada 
Or abstinence-based, no. From yeah. my knowledge, um, every province, except I want to say maybe Quebec, there is a mandated sex ed okay. curriculum, and they do talk about sexual activity. Okay. Um, so I think Canada is doing a pretty stellar job. Ontario's really up there now. Before the update in 2015, we were really lagging behind. Yeah, it hadn't been updated since 1998? Yeah, uh, so 1998, 1999, 2000, there were three different documents. And what happened in 2010 was Dalton McGinty came in um, as premier, and Kathleen Wynne was actually our Minister of Education at the time, mm. and she's the one who actually released an updated sex ed curriculum for the grade one to eight age range, and there was so much pushback from parents, and Dalton was freaking out, so he pulled it back and and basically just replaced it with the old curriculum yeah. from 1998. Yeah. So now that Kathleen Wynne was premier, uh, is premier, she reintroduced the same curriculum that was released in 2010. Yeah. There were a few updates added, consent was added, a couple other things. Yeah. That was the history there, and it was highly controversial. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And uh, the consent piece was added because of the two 14-year-old women, yeah. uh, girls, who said we want... Uh, they have a documentary, I think, out called We Give Consent. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them speak, and they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'm really impressed to see that. Mm-hmm. Can parents still pull their kids? They can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A uh, parent has the right, if the child is under 18, they can withdraw their child from any any course they want not just sex ed whether it's science whether it's math they legally have the right and I get a lot of mixed answers I've talked to the ministry about this I've tried contacting principals superintendents what happens if a parent decides that they want to pull their child out of a class because they still need that content somehow they still still need to be assessed a teacher can't legally give a zero because they didn't do the work so it's not that they under zero it's just incomplete um, so from an assessment standpoint it gets really confusing and I've got mixed answers where it's up to the parents to get the education for their child or they'll just amend the marks from the other three health strands and just disregard the sex ed one I still don't have uh, an answer that's confirmed so if anyone yeah. happens to know that'd be, <laughs> that'd be great well I got two more for you okay do you have a favorite story you'd like to share from your time teaching? I thought about this, and I mean, it's kind of a cop-out answer to say, oh, but every workshop's been great. <laughs> and it, I mean, it really has. I would have to say my first really big workshop that I did in May of 2015 uh, was for uh, a private professional development company, and I had a huge turnout. I was expecting 10 people, so to walk into a room of 50 people was pretty flattering, and people were very engaged, and I really, really loved that. Um, but just like a funny story, when I was at U of T doing my master's in my second year, I was a, a sex educator for students there through the Healthy You crew. Um, and I was asked to help with the project of distributing condoms. And just the faces that I got, I'm trying to educate people here, offering them free resources to engage in safer sex practices and the looks of fear and disgust. And then two minutes later, the same people would come by and kind of was really like, can I, can I have a couple? Um, <laughs> so it just goes to show you like a perfect example of yeah. that is so stigmatized, but so many people are interested yes. in learning more and having that support. Yeah. So that was a fun educational <laughs> moment. And I just realized like, yeah, I'm doing what I need to be doing mm. because I'm helping people um, be safe. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. I like uh, E1, I think, has really cool condoms. They have, like, really funny images on the front. I don't know if it's one or E1. It's just, I think, one. one just yeah, one, one condoms, yeah. they're great. One I just collect so them for the patterns. I just, like, <laughs> have a mural. Not actually, it's but like they're hilarious. a camel. Yeah. One hump, you know? Yeah. It's like... 
bubble gum, lollipop, whatever. And a lot of health clinics give them out for free, which is really great. Yeah, absolutely. I wish there were more sexual health clinics. It's unfortunate because the funding is being pulled left, right, and center and so understaffed. And the work they're doing is incredible work. They're working so hard. They have appointments booked all day, every day. And the resources are just dwindling. Why? Ask, ask the government. I don't know. Really? It's unfortunate. Yeah. Every time I go, I talk to the staff and they're just, you know, they're so frustrated because they're so understaffed. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised because, uh, you know, with the with Kathleen, who kind of put, brought the curriculum in, I thought, I didn't know if that, who knows? I think it's because it's federal. Yeah. It's oh, federally yeah. managed. Oh, because I always thought the health is like provincially managed. I, I think it's all levels. Yeah. I don't know if where clinics over. fall under. Yeah, yeah. You could entirely be there right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Last question for you, Miss Carly, okay. is what inspired you to do this work? Um, some of my earliest memories from public school, I can't believe I'm going to admit this. I remember distinctly in grade three, running around the playground, asking all my friends, do you know what your period is? And all of them saying, it's a period at the end of a sentence. It's a dot at the end of the sentence. I just, I'm, I'm lucky to come from a family where sexual health has always been an open dialogue. Um, and I just grew up with this innate comfort talking about sex and especially in my teenagehood and early adulthood just having conversations with my friends and them saying I never got this information anywhere else I don't know who to ask I didn't get it in school my parents refused to talk about it with me or I have no interest in talking about it with them and just understanding and recognizing that people want to talk about their sexual health they want to talk about their relationships I have always been the unofficial relationship (laughs) therapist in my group of friends everyone says I should be a sex therapist which is very (laughs) flattering Um, and and people just want to talk about it and they want to learn. And I just feel that I'm so lucky that I have the ability to talk about these things without any discomfort um, and just to help people unpack a lot of these childhood questions that they never had answered. Um, yeah. So with that and just understand understanding there's such a need in schools um, and why I decided to work with teachers specifically is I really think that a lot of the problem comes from top down. It's the adults who don't have the knowledge. They're uncomfortable. And they're influencing their students as a result of that. So if we can get adults to be more comfortable with their own understanding, their own knowledge of sexual health, hopefully that will trickle down because kids seem interested. My cousins who are 11 years old, 7 years old, they always have questions for me and their parents come to me with questions and it's just a wonderful open dialogue that I have with my family. And I I really hope that other people can start these conversations with their families and their friends after having attended one of my workshops or just even thinking about the topic a little bit more. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day we'll see you. What, the work you're doing is fantastic. Thank you. It is. I love it. I love it. it yeah. It's an amazing, amazing field to be in. Yeah. I, I love. I the very little exposure I've had so far, I've really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And people have started at calling me and asking me with questions like family members and things like that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, like this is great. Yeah. It makes me feel so good. And I feel like a lot of educators come from a place. Well, from my from who I've talked to that it's their own history with it that they're like oh I wish I knew more for sure and then we become the experts Mm -hmm. yes oh yeah it's fantastic (laughs) Carly anything else you wanted to say today thank you so much for having me and hearing a bit about you and (laughs) getting to talk about what I do it's always such a pleasure to be able to talk about it so thanks for having me today absolutely if you want to find Carly you can find her at 
Carly at mysexed.ca. I have a website, mysexed.ca. That's probably the easiest way. And then all my yeah. other contact information is there. I always forget about the website. People always divert yeah, the website. to, you know, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, all those things. But my website, yeah. mysexed.ca. All right. Signing off. This is Rebecca Nava for Sex Ed Before Bed. And hope you have a great sleep or something else before sleep. Bye. <laughs>